this? Ugh, this is so boring. What else is on? Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons, an animation podcast for Geeky Girl Experience. I'm Hope Mullinax and I make my friend Chris Honeywell watch my favorite animated shows. In this episode, Blinden, Blinjamin Blandon, returns to face off with Dipper and Mabel in a futuristic battle that could trap them forever in time jail. But it also happens to be Seuss's birthday. We're talking about Gravity Falls Blinden's game this week. How you doing, Chris? Good. I wish his name was Bl his middle name was Blanchin. <laughs> oh my goodness, that would in make the it... last episode. Yeah, I would tie it in with the last episode. Because then there would be this all all this conspiracy about if Blinden was actually the rapper eventually through time or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been hilarious. For some reason, and maybe just because it was, like, Thanksgiving, for, well, just to date this episode, it was Thanksgiving last week for us, but I feel like it's been forever since we talked about Gravity Falls, even though it was just last week. Yeah, we haven't taken a break or anything. I know, just, the last week just felt like a month to me, and oh. I just, you know, I was watching this, and I was like, when was the last time I watched Gravity Falls? And I was like, it was seven whole days ago. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right on the schedule. I think it's because I didn't uh, edit an episode last week, so I didn't have, like, the double Gravity Falls I normally have in a week. So. Uh, yeah, that could totally do it. Because I usually uh, record it with you on Tuesday, and I edit it on Thursday, and finish my edits on Friday. And I didn't do that last week, because it was Thanksgiving, and I took the week off. So I feel like I haven't talked about Gravity Falls in forever. Actually, by the time this episode comes out, it might be, it might be the new year. Happy New Year, everybody! <laughs> Now that I actually count in my head, it is 2021! Hooray! Hopefully the year will be better! Good luck, everyone! Let's get rid of the pandemic! And hello, Mr. <laughs> President and Madam Vice President, and welcome to 2021! Get your shit together, because I, to I have to go to my sister's wedding in March. Oh, good luck with that. In COVID time! Florida, in COVID good time! Luck. Ha! Let's get our shit together, everybody! <laughs> so, did you like Blinden's game? It was good. I think this is one of the stronger entries in, in, in Season 2. And, and I mean stronger by one of the stronger character entries. Maybe possibly not for, like, story, but I think this is one of the most strongest character episodes and how it's presented and handled and everything. In some ways, yes... And and I don't want to say in some ways no, but in some ways it almost parodies itself. I feel in some ways we'll get we'll get into that later. But there, like the the storyline with Seuss, which I think is the most important one, it handles really well. I actually noted that too because like it's the whole setup for this with like Globnar and everything, but it turns out that's not the important story here. The Seuss is, and it's a really Really good Seuss episode, definitely for sure. So, well, you ready to get into it? I am. Blinden's Game is the 28th episode of Gravity Falls, and it aired on November 10th, 2014. It was written by Alex Hirsch and Jeff Rowe. The director was Matt Braley, and the storyboard artists were Sabrina Catagno, Chris Houston, Luke Weber, and Emmy Ciceriga. Some extra information for you. 
Time Baby is voiced by David Winberg, who is also the voice of Loth in this episode. The episode's title is a reference to the book Ender's Game. Just a little reminder in case we've forgotten since the time-traveling pig, because it's been around a while. Loth and Dundren are based on the actor Dolph Lundgren, and their uniforms are similar to the outfit worn by Lundgren's character Andrew Scott from the film Universal Soldier. Some of the signs in the background of the future say Time Baby is Watching, which is a reference to the George Orwell book 1984, which numerous signs say Big Brother is Watching. The reference to the Digicod codpiece is an allusion to Deckard's Ajax model Mountebank codpiece from Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, a novel which is the basis for Blade Runner. That's a deep, deep Philip K. Dick cut. Deep cut. That's just like a deep reference. (laughs) I've read that book several times and I did not pick that up at all. You know, it was just... Now that you mention it, it's like I, I sort of remember it as something that was just, you know, one of the many references of life in that time period and stuff. But that's all it was, was like a passing, passing reference of something the Deckard character bought. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was like, this is either going to be a really good one that Chris gets or neither of us. We're just going to I'm just going to keep on reading. <laughs> Seuss's house is located on Chambrot Drive. This is a reference to Seuss's character inspiration and Alex Hirsch's friend and fellow Cal Arts University student, Jesus Chambrot. It is a confirmed in show that Seuss's birthday is July 13th, 1990. So in the time period of the show, he is 22 years old. Alex Hirsch said at Comic-Con that Seuss's father is Caucasian while his mother is Hispanic. This suggests that Seuss has taken on his mother's last name of Ramirez. And finally, and I note this because I never noticed it before, and then I went back and I looked and I was like, I'll be damned. So apparently in the episode, Seuss and the Real Girl, when you look at Abloita's house right at the beginning, to the right of the house, the tree and the fence are destroyed. And I never noticed it before. And it turns out it's because of this episode. Because Loth shoots the laser gun at the tree and makes the tree and the fence burn. And I never noticed it before until I saw it while doing these notes. And I went back and checked, and it was a cool little thing. And I was like, well, I'll be damned. Seuss and the real girl, they're missing a half-burnt tree. (laughs) Well, as always, Hope Makes Chris Watch Cartoons is broken into the parts. Part 1 will be our story's theme and character. Part 2 will be the journal entries. Part 3 will be the cipher in connection to the previous episodes. And Part 4 will be Chris's speculations and theories corner. So, Chris... What was your favorite parts of the episode that got your jams all jimmied? I like the scene with uh, Dipper and and young Wendy. I have notes about that, so yes. (laughs) That was a great reaction, like double-tiered reaction from Dipper. I like that uh, Grunkle Stan, when he's talking to the customers, he tells them to schlep right up. Not step right up, he says schlep right up. And, of course, the time baby. Everybody's gonna love the Time Baby. I wasn't sure if you would like or dislike the Time Baby. I was on the fence. I could see it going either way. So, the Time the Time Baby. This whole episode was very Rick and Morty and Futurama sort of style. It was very science fictiony. Well, my favorite part. Um, <laughs> I love the part, the whole scene where Mabel is just like. I'm your great 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 grandmother, and Loth is like. Gam Gam? 
And you get his eyes get all big and watery, and he's just like, Gam Gam, how could you? And just the great line of Maylob just like, I ain't no one Gam Gam sucker! <laughs> I love that whole exchange. I also like the little bit of like right after um, Lalton Dundren gets in the mattress store, and Blinden goes stammering off, which I almost noted because I love that line of just like, I'm gonna keep stammering! I'm, 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 I'm. <laughs> There's a little moment when, before they leave the store, they jump on the beds and you're like a flip off the bed. And then they like fist bump and they're like, yeah! And then they just calmly walk out the store. And it's so funny. <laughs> I love it. I have a lot of, I almost noted the Dipper and Wendy scene because I do have notes about that. And it's, it is one of my favorite moments. But I love how they handled the Seuss getting that final postcard. That's a moment where, the moment he opens the box and you see all the postcards in there. It's handled so well. Um, there's actually very little dialogue, and it's all really, really strong visual storytelling. So, I have an ongoing long Seuss note that's pretty much like beat by beat the episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also have notes about Blinden, the twins, Time Baby, uh, Dipper and Wendy. Where do you want to go? You want to just start at the top and go through? Yeah, let's do that. So, in big ca- all caps letters... The Seuss background episode. It's handled so well. And so much of this episode is like just visual storytelling. They use Seuss as a character that we love. We love Seuss. And he's so chill and he's so zen and he doesn't hate anybody. And to know that he is upset by something as simple as his birthday. Like just like that for one just goes into all the character building they've done up to Seuss to this point. Because it, it's kind of like, um, oh, who is it? There's a great radio drama called Cabin Pressure. It's really a ton of fun. It has been in a Cumberbatch gen, and it was one of his early projects. Cabin Pressure is so much fun. But there's a character in Cabin Pressure named Arthur. And he is just the brightest, happiest person. He compliments everybody. He loves everything. Nothing can go wrong. And when his father comes into the picture, two of the other characters named Martin and Douglas are like, well, what do you think of your father? And Arthur can't come up with a compliment. And both of them are just like, oh my god, he must be a horrible person because Arthur can't compliment him. And that's how I feel so much about Seuss in the story. Like, we're so used to seeing him so zen and chippier and happy. So when we get that, like, first initial scene of them throwing him a surprise party and Candy and Grinda are there, and you see he's sad, that's just, that moment sets up the rest of the episode because it's based on the character work they've done up to this point for Seuss. You've been wondering why he lives with his grandmother, you know, and it's it's funny because now that you mentioned mentioned that his father was not, I was assuming that the father was the daughter of the grandmother, and I was like, wow, it's and it's even harsher that she's like his dad was kind of a jerk, you know? Yeah. But we don't, do we know what happened to his mother? We don't. Um, it's never stated, and I actually, I looked it up, and it is unknown. I get the idea that she's, you know, dead. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would know. probably say he, she's... Or else it would be, it would have been an issue of why his mother wasn't coming to his birthday party, too, you know? Yeah. He's not wondering why, so that's, so I just assume, oh, mom's dead and dad was, a. Uh, Dad was either a wand- already a wanderer or was just emotionally tagged out after mom died. 
See, I'm glad they didn't make it about him meeting his dad and stuff like that. I think I I I think it was a lot more realistic and complex the way they handled it. All all we know is okay. This is from the Gravity Falls wiki, and it's under the list of unseen characters. Mrs. Ramirez is Seuss's mom, Abuelita's daughter, Reggie's aunt, and therefore the sister of one of his parents, and Mr. Ramirez's wife. Um, little is known about her aside from the fact that she is Latin American heritage. So I would probably assume that she's probably not with us anymore, like Wendy's mother. Seuss's mom and Wendy's mom are off having a fun time in heaven. But that's all we know. So actually, speaking of Wendy, that goes in my next, uh, my next moment. I, I, again, I'm so impressed with the character storytelling of this is... How in just like little throwaway lines you can tell the relationship that Seuss has with both Wendy and Stan. Because the moment that both of them see that the twins are trying to throw Seuss a birthday party. Well for one like Wendy is just like we've tried everything before. We've tried to be there before. And the fact that Stan has been banned from flying for Seuss of all people shows how much Stan cares for Seuss. But you would never ever admit it. Found family man. Oh. And from flying. I know. He's banned from flying in planes for Seuss. And I think that's the part that I really love the most about this episode is family is a very, very, very important theme of Gravity Falls. We most notably see it with Stan and the kids because they're they're related and the series has explored like Stan's relationship with the kids and Dipper and Mabel's relationship with each other. But now we're starting to kind of explore more of the found family side of things, and it's through Seuss. Seuss is part of their found family, and they see him as that. And so much in the story with Stan and Wendy and the kids, he the whole point of that is realizing that he's had a family this entire time, and he lets go of that idea. And and I like I like them kind of exploring that because so much has been about blood relations. The thing about Dipper Dipper and Mabel is they've got two families. They've still got their regular regular family and whatever, and so so they've got sort of their found, but like the like the rest of their found family, like that's all they got. Like Dipper and Mabel are orphans that were left to for Stan to take care of or something like that. I'm surprised that it wasn't like that. That would have made a more permanent situation to form a series on. I don't know if it would have been emotionally too much for the series but like it could have been something that you just like eased into over a couple seasons you know if it was done for long enough found family stories always tend to resonate with me it's it's very common um with a lot of queer people that we have you know our blood family and stuff like that but we also have our found family and so like people in my life like billy um billy is one of my very best friends and and kate and megan and and jess and allison like they, they're my found family because they are the people outside of my like blood-related family who are there for me. And I'm actually closer with them than the majority of my family. Because they accept me and they know me. And it's very common in queer communities to have found families. But it's also common in a lot of communities. And I don't want to say that that's just explicit for them. But that's, that is always a story that resonates with me as a queer person. Because I do have a found family. My, I have my Pink Milk family. I have my 221Become family. And the majority of the, the people in those circles are queer. It's it's something that only the experience that other queer people can understand. That straight cishet people can't always fully get what it's like to be afraid of your own grandparents knowing who you truly are. 
And so I, I love found families tropes. They they always like resonate with me because I, I live it. I live it. That's my life. Well, if you were a cis hetero group of say serial killers, you wouldn't want your <laughs> game game to find out who you are. <laughs> not, not to compare serial killers to. The, I know what you, you meant, know. but it just uh, that, came I'm, out I'm wrong. Going, going to the, the the evil side of the spectrum <laughs> there, but I'm saying there's there, there there are situations. I know, I I know what you mean. It was just funny because I know that's not how you meant it, but that's how it came out. They would definitely get get yeah. kicked out of their family. You if know, they, the gays and well, the serial killers. Well, if they killers. didn't get kicked out of their family for being a serial killer, that's like the beginning of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was just about or something. To say, that sounds like Texas Chainsaw. But you know, you know the case. That's a that's a family that's a family film. <laughs> film about family. It is. It carries on through like three or four movies and remakes and everything. That was a strong family unit. <laughs> Brought together by working together at the slaughterhouse. Oh Lord. But I, I think one of the best parts about this episode is also just watching Seuss as a character because. It, it's kind of like Mabel. Like I, I, I pointed this out in it was Land Before Swine. I, I, I brought this up that when Mabel lost Waddles, everyone rallied behind her because when she was upset, she's one of the, she's the heart of the show, and Seuss is also one of the hearts of the show. And I love that everybody rallied around him, but it also shows like this is a good shining example of who Seuss is as a person. He is given all the power in the universe to do whatever he wants. And he chooses his found family in pizza. I love it because he realizes that these are the people who stood beside him and not his father. <laughs> his found family as much as like just cleaning them up. <laughs> that was just so funny. It's just like, I'll fix you guys up. <laughs> and they're all like cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's such a serious thing to do. He chooses the Pines family and he chooses pizza. Give it a few bags of bags of gold too. <laughs> so, what what did you think about Seuss's story in in all this and how it was handled? Because I've been rambling and I only have two other line, uh, notes of Seuss's dad is the worst. Dan is a much better father figure, which says a lot because he's a con man. Well, he's there. <laughs> he's there. Yeah. And, and in all caps, I wrote when Seuss opens that box full of postcards, I wanted to shank his father. And that's probably why Seuss has worked for Stan for so long. He's probably a, a good, you know, a good stand-in father for him. Or the the only, just the available, he probably isn't the the best stand-in father for him, but he's the available one. And It makes me look, because we see how Stan has treated Dipper doing all this, and it, it kind of, kind of how, like, last week's episode reframed McGucket's story, and Skarioki reframed Stan's season one story. Kind of thinking back to, like, it, it really reframes a lot of, like, Stan and Seuss up to this point. Like, when the government agents first show up in, in Skarioki, Seuss knows exactly what to do. He knows to give them swag, he knows to deflect them. When we see him in Boys Crazy, when the evil uh, Lou Pearlman producer guy comes up, Seuss knows exactly what to do to protect his family. And it just, you're right, like, it's because Stan is act- has actually been there. Stan is a con man. He's not the best person in the world, but he's there. He's there, and he's clearly taught Seuss a lot. He's taught Seuss how to work and function and put things together and have a steady job. In the words of Wendy, he has a steady job and a sweet ride. I mean, and that has to be to Stan's credit, just by being there. I would love to, like, have seen, like, some just before the kids ever showed up, just, like, what life was like 
with just Stan and Zeus and and even Wendy there. Well, there you have little flashbacks to it, but it's usually just Stan abusing Zeus. But it's probably just a, it's just a a, a, a pattern of good natured abuse and. I think abuse is a bit of a strong word. Well, you know, no, it's abuse. I I I mean, not like you know, Stan could be arrested for abuse, but Stan, it's pick it's it's picking on him. It's 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 mild bullying, but it's done with affection. It's macho. It's like it's it's toxic max- masculinity style bonding, but in real life, it, 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 there's not many people that would have the psychological concoction of Stan Pines, where it's amusing and stuff. But that's how I mean. That's that's he's he's designed as that kind of character. He's designed as he's a nice guy, but he's he's salty and he's and he's gritty and he's got a crab-like shell around him and and takes joy in in picking on picking on everybody get getting under people's skins or just sort of so you know that's 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 what i would picture chris everything you said just now about stan i want you to put a pin in for four episodes okay it is important everything you just said Uh, i can't tell you why though um, but I realized I never let you answer the question. So uh, what did you think about Seuss and the story and all that in this episode? Well, I thought Seuss's story was the heart of the episode. And it was just funny because it's become very plain that this, like the core of, I mean, we, we sort of hit the two core themes of family and uh, and sacrifice. But the sacrifice story was both both had Dipper and, and Mabel making sacrifices, but they were like, it, we're so used to them. No, the the lesson for them being that like you gotta do something for someone else. That in this one they're just like we we forgive Blandin, Blinden Blandin, and there's no arc of the lesson. They're just like, I know this life hack. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is like remember in the last five episodes, and you know they're like, no, Blinden, you're okay. We're setting you free, and blah blah blah. And, you know, and, and we'll give up the other, the, the, the time wish to Seuss. That's almost like a little wink and nod to the audience. And it's just like, this is a secondary story, but they got to maintain this consistent moral theme of it. It is a kid show is, is at its core. So you're, you know, if you got your, your values that you're teaching in the show, that's, you got to get it in there. But it's kind of a wink of just sort of like, Hey, you know, <laughs> here's this plot beat. But that's okay because that's not the main thrust of what we're supposed. We're not. We've already learned that lesson. So they just played the the Seuss thing, and you think at first it's going to be like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna find out about his father or something, and and figure out how to get his father there. His father's gonna show up to help him at laser tag and stuff. And I'm glad they didn't go there. It went. It was it was more realistic and better for better for future stories too. And bittersweet, and they got to hit bittersweet beats. Yeah, and you're right. Like, to, I, I think it's um, pretty mature, also of the twins, to realize that they can't fix everything, and they let it come down to Zeus's choice. Because, and, and that's not of all the twins. They're both twelve, and they're just like, we're gonna save Zeus, and we're gonna save the day, because it's a very kid thing to do. But I like that moment where they realize, like, it's not up to us. Like, it's up to Zeus. And Seuss chooses them, and I think that's a really strong moment as well. Yeah, I, I love this episode. I I would actually say this is more of the Seuss episode versus something like Seuss and the Real Girl, 
because Jason the Real Girl is fun and it's about him getting a love interest, but like this is like really gets to the core of Seuss. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a sad story about Seuss. <laughs> and and I, I you know I think that's why it's so good too because it's a sad story. Well, he's been the happy-go-lucky guy in the whole show, so... Exactly. That's exactly why it's it, it hits harder, because he is the Zen, the Zen character. The Zen character. He's the Zen character. He's the laid-back guy. He's the happy guy. He's the protector. I think I said early on, he's almost the maternal figure of the story. And you see why. And it's because he's gone through so much hurt and so much turmoil and... And we were talking about the first time we see Abelowita's house in Dream, no, Gideon Rises, where, like, it's clear that they don't have a lot of money. You know, their cupboards are bare. They have nothing in the refrigerator. And it just shows, like, when you put it all together, like, it's amazing that Seuss is as happy and laid back in Zen as he is, but it's because he's learned from hardships and trauma, which shows the strength of his character. You ready to move on? Oh, well, I got a couple just minor notes. Well, I, 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 that... I didn't move on from Seuss. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah from Seuss. <laughs> so I love going to the past um, and seeing the town just ten years prior because we spent a season and a half falling in love with this town and these characters and who they are. So I think it's really fun just to, like, walk down Main Street and, like, see everybody and see, like, little kid Robbie and Wendy and Tambry. And, and there's some notable ones. Like, there's a very, very brief flash of Bud Gleeful and Gideon's mother, and Gideon's mother looks so happy and peaceful and calm, and her hair is all nice, and you just know what she becomes, and it's very interesting to kind of get it inside of the town just ten years prior. Yep, and Razzle Dazzle die. <laughs> Poor Toby! Toby just doesn't win at anything. <laughs> if you want to see where I think they got that joke from, just go on YouTube and put in Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Comedy Show. Okay. They were a kid show in the 70s, and they were very razzle-dazzle. All right, I want to talk about the Dipper and Kid Wendy moment. That's probably the other highlight of this episode <laughs> to me. That moment is so well done. It's quick, it's fast, but boy, howdy, is it powerful. Well, it's, ma- it's made to go along with the viewer. The viewer is right there with with him going, oh, Oh. <laughs> oh wow. You know, it's, oh. So it's a great moment. And I, I love it because it it's kind of like the final period on the Dipper Wendy crush moment. Right. <laughs> and it's cuz like we 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 resolved it and into the bunker, you know, they talked about it. They they've been, you know, in, in similar scenes since then. Yeah, he's but he's still blushed when when tiny little Wendy <laughs> told him he was cute. <laughs> I blush more of not a flustered like oh blush i took it more of a as an embarrassed blush you know he was just like oh i'm, I'm embarrassed this child thinks i'm cute oh he was he was flattered too i think yeah he's dipper he was like oh, oh, oh well, well. <laughs> but i i like that he gets that insight for wendy you know like he can sympathize all day but now he can empathize with it and him having that moment being in her shoes of what it was to her all summer that he was doing to her all summer. God, it's so well done. And it's, and it's so awkward. Like you can feel the awkwardness of it. And that moment of him just being like, when the moment Mabel's like, now you know how she feels in that moment. He's like, yeah, wow. And he just stops and he's like, wow. 
Yeah. God, it, it just, it feels awkward, but it's it's so good, too, because it just puts everything in a perspective that we just watched for a season and a half, and I love it. I love it so much. Well, and... the, it, it just shows that, like, okay, he got it for the, the um, story in the episode, but this was where he really got it, where he actually, yeah. like, it was, it's just, it was just a neat representation of somebody finally getting that, that empathetic connection where they go, like, Oh, you know, they might have already figured it out enough to like adjust their life a little bit, but then when it really clicks home and they go, "Ooh, that's usually when that's usually when people go like, "Oh, wow, I was kind of gross" or whatever, you know, yeah. or like, "Oh, I didn't act very well at that." Those are always good moments. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, like, other than the Seuss stuff, like that was like the shining moment of this episode. And I just want to go ahead and note this now, you guys, because I'm saying it's the period of the Dipper and Wendy stuff, and which is why this becomes one of my gripes in eight episodes. <laughs> oh, um, anyway, um, I just wanted to say that Abloita is a gem of a character. I love Abloita. I just love that moment where she says in Spanish that she'll rip her Seuss's father to pieces if he ever sets foot in the house again. And she makes him dinosaur cookies, and she got him his keyboard. Like, she's so good. And when we talk about, like, it's so interesting, because I was just having a very long conversation. I was talking with Chris before we started recording about how I was having a conversation with Seamus Telly of Den of Geeks and uh, Seanicus, who is a DuckTales YouTuber. And we were talking about uh, Donald's agency as a parent in the DuckTales reboot. I have such a blended family. I've talked, I, you know, I have a very blended family. So I have step parents and step siblings and stuff like that. So this story does resonate with me, which is why Donald's story resonates with me too, because I love Della in the new series, but Donald is their father. He is the father of Huey, Dewey, and Louie, even though he's their uncle, because he raised them. And that story really resonates with me. And that's, I, I really like Abloita too, because you can tell, like, we know she loves Seuss. She follows Seuss around. She stalks Seuss and reads his diary. Like, she loves him. But I, I like seeing this non-traditional parent because it's, there's probably so many people that was, you know, there's so many kids that are raised by grandparents. They're raised by aunts and uncles. It's almost, it's, yeah. it's almost not even non-traditional anymore. And grandparents tend to treat grandchildren like that more than, than kids and stuff. But then again, I've, I know a lot of people who were raised by their grandparents, and I can't think of one of them who do, who it wasn't a very positive experience, you know, that they don't like, they, they haven't actually maybe an, even an extra layer of appreciation, because it's somebody who already went through raising a kid and had to do it all over again when they should have been resting. And, but they also had the benefit of having a first run through it extra knowledge so absolutely and i just i kind of like that i like that in this series that seuss's parents are abloita and stan like those are his parents there's actually a really really adorable fan comic that is of seuss's high school graduation the in the entire like fan comic is he's up on stage he's waiting to graduate and stuff like that and Abloita's in the audience, and out of nowhere, like, Stan just drives through the wall of the gymnasium and just puts a quarter in the machine and and, and, the, and the thing and sits down, and, like, Seuss just starts crying on stage because Stan crashed through the wall of his gymnasium to be at his high school graduation. It's such a cute little fan comic. 
But I, I like that. I like that idea that he is raised by Abloita and Stan. So, all right, let's actually talk about Blinden and Globnar. So, how did you like uh, Blinden in this episode? Uh, he's he's pretty much the same. He's the he's a, the bitter Blinden. Him much more Blinden. The, bl- bitter. the blitter blitter Blinden. <laughs> much more blitter. But, uh, when I heard Globnar, the first thing I thought of was a heavy metal movie with the Lochnar, which was a sort of time-traveling interdimensional creature of evil. Every time, I, the, the way that Blinden screams it, I always think, Trogdor! Which is actually what Matt Chapman created, and he's one of the writers and directors. There was, there was just a lot of science fiction-y, like that, there, there, the, the whole ga- series of games reminded me of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. The little robot that was sort of filming everything reminded me of the robot that used to be in the Fantastic Four cartoons. It reminded me a lot of Futurama, where they just in Rick and Morty, where they stuck a lot of science fiction elements from a lot of different stuff. In this, including Rick and Morty in, in Futurama. Like there's a, there's a little bit of Tron in there. Yeah, uh, a little yeah, Amer- yeah. A little American Gladiators. There's a little bit of yeah. there's a nod to Portal, which is which is a science fiction video game. Like there's a lot there. Right. Well, it's it's a little unusual for Rick and Morty because you or Rick and Morty for for Gravity Falls because it's usually more like paranormal stuff, and this was straight up sci-fi, time travel and you know a different dimension and all, and all that stuff. So it just had a little different feel to it, but it worked really well. I like that Blendon has. A very tiny character journey, because this is only his second episode. Well, he's a tiny character. He could go back and forth probably all the... I don't know, though. He's probably a friend for life now. And, we, and we've and we seen that, because he's popped up in the background of episodes. So when I say he's only been in two episodes, I mean there's only been two episodes focused on him. And he has a, I like that they just keep his, his little journeys short and sweet. He's the story plot device of Time Traveler's Pig. He gets them to time travel. Which made him a villain here, and now he's reformed. And they did it in two episodes, and that's all they needed to do because it was it was fast, quick, and he served his purpose. Well, the thing about the whole defining characteristic of him is he's bland. <laughs> his character is bland. He looks bland. He just he's just sort of one pasty white color with like usually with it like in this one he's just wearing a one piece jump white jumpsuit. He's just a bland kind of barely one-dimensional character and he hates it <laughs> so he, he's just a good he's just a good comedy character there's not an awful lot to him you know he's got the name the look and he's just gonna be the the just sort of never get his due oh my god you just like broke my brain a little bit when you said that he's bland and he hates it oh my god like yeah yeah, absolutely. He is always going to be this like kind of middleman who never gets his due, just like you said. Yeah, he's wow. He's he's grumpy and he's got a grudge against the whole world and and the people around him. And just to draw even starker contrasts, the people around him are all look like Dolph Lundgren. They're all action figures or giant monsters. Or you know, babies. it's a prison full of giant giant babies and. A prison full of, you know, j- just giant mutant monsters and stuff. And here's Blinden Blandon looking like like a white-collar criminal or something. He is sort of a white-collar criminal yeah, in a way. He, he's, he's the forgettable guy at the office. Yeah, he's mid-level management, sort of. Or not even mid-level management. Maybe, yeah, yeah. 
that's so yeah man yeah and he hates it he hates it too <laughs> yeah because he feels like he deserves more which is kind of where i i like that that's actually now that you said that i like that that's the fuel for his villain journey because he hated being the middle management guy but dipper and mabel actually by getting him in trouble in time traveler's pig and sending him to jail they actually put him on a more interesting journey and for him to try and be something greater, which of course he falls short on because he lost Globnar. But that that's a, a really great segue to my next note. Yeah, if you if you if you want to be Blendin' Blendin and you wanna start stepping up into that game, you maybe maybe a stint in, in time prison will uh leather you up a little bit and give you give you some badass. He went to time prison and fought in the Globnar, so he's got some he's got some street cred now, even though he's still just <laughs> he's always gonna be blending blandin. And he has some fancy hair now. Oh, that's right. I would say like you're right. I, I think if anybody other than Justin Roiland voiced him, Justin Roiland that voice really is blendin. I think he would be absolutely a a forgettable character, if not for Royland voicing him and pretty much doing the Morty he's voice. A, he's the Patrick Delmore voice grown up. <laughs> the teen at the at the at the Krusty Burger. Though I really do like the story that it's the twins are the ones that step up and they break Blendon's cycle because they realize that they're the reason that Blendon was there in the first place and they recognize that and they chose to end a feud with kindness and I like that they chose kindness in that moment. Um, and so just to quote Wendy, that's some pretty mature junk right there. Um, that they chose to, they recognized that it was, they were behind Blendon doing all that. And they chose to fix it and they st- stopped it and they gave him fancy hair. I liked that. I just want to say about Time Baby, I just love that he's a baby. And he does baby things. I, lo- I just like my favorite parts where he's chewing his foot. I like when they when the robot's trying to give him the the sand time bottle and he's like it's good for you and he's just like Mer! no <laughs> no because he's this all powerful being but he's a baby and he does baby things and I love Time Baby I think he's he's so great he's such a fun little character I'm glad that you liked Time Baby too. <laughs> Um, my, my last little notes is, uh, I, I just have two little notes left. I love that we see baby Gompers the goat for a brief second. Yeah. Gompers just is a tiny little baby and I love it. And my only note is the few times that we've seen Robbie this season, he's just a dick. He's just being obnoxious. Yeah, yeah. he's just like, he was spray painting the golf course and like making, like, you know, messing with people. And here, I just love like he runs up to Seuss and he's just like, Laser Robbie! And then like later on, he like shoots water and he's just like, Young Robbie! (laughs) He's just obnoxious. Well, there's no reason to do a lot with him right now because he's really, like, he's no longer Dipper's foil as much. So he's just become everybody, he's just become everybody's foil. Absolutely, but I absolutely just love this take. Like, now that they're free, they can just do Robbie just being a little dick to everybody, and I love it. But that's all I had. Did you have anything else for Blendon's game? I do not. I got all your notes? I did. We got every one of them. Unlike last week, where there was a bajillion entries to read, um... This week in Dipper's journal entry, we just have the one, and it's from Dipper's point of view, and here we go. 
just returned from our second trip to the future, and I'd be happy to never go back there again. The freakiest part of the whole experience? The Time Baby. Apparently, in the future, this guy rules the entire planet with a chubby, dimpled fist. In the year 2012, everyone obeys him. All schools pledge allegiance to him, and he gums to death anyone who causes him trouble. He has a booming voice, surprisingly eloquent for a baby, although still says Paschetti. Laser eyes that can zap you into dust, easily distracted by jingling keys, though. He drinks cosmic milk out of a bottle that's the size of a skyscraper, and when he burps, it measures on the Richter scale. And he can't walk, so instead he floats in this strange hover diaper, which seems to be able con- to, which seems to be able to control the rotation of the Earth. And he has cute sausagey fingers that will destroy you. He can be strangely merciful when he's not going into a tantrum or making his citizens fight to the death over a time wish. He gave Lyndon his job back before retiring to nap for two thousand years. I'm sure he just meant for twenty minutes. He's also responsible for Seuss getting the Infinity Pizza. Oh yeah, we didn't really mention the pizza much. The Infinity Pizza! A slice of pizza that Seuss, and only Seuss, can keep eating forever. Acquired by Blinden during Globnar. Don't ask. Anyone can take a bite, but it will only regenerate after Seuss has eaten it. This is why it can't solve world hunger. Only Seuss's mouth has that magic. Did I really just write that? Seuss can ask for different toppings and the pizza will obey. I don't know how the pizza understands him with his mouth full. Seuss is building the pizza a triangular carry case made out of sandalwood and leather. Looks like he's carrying the world's tiniest, most triangular ukulele. It may be infinity, but it's also kind of greasy. Seuss should have asked for infinite napkins. And then it has a, a greasy pizza stain at the bottom of the page. That's it for Dipper's journal entries this week. Kind of fluffy this week. I know, I know. Enjoy it. <laughs> uh, where was I? Okay, so the next part we have is the Cypher Corner and connections to previous episodes. This is just a mild thing. Um, when Stan is talking to, when he's telling the people that he uh, schlep right up, um, he's actually talking about the wax figures from Headhunters. And in the gift shop in the background, you can actually see wax Sherlock Holmes in a back corner um, when when the, they're in the past. So it's a nice little nod to the time where he had the wax figures. The cryptogram at the end of the episode, once it's decoded, says, Don't do the time crime if you can't do the time time. And finally, the flashing page cryptogram, once it's decoded at the end of the episode, it says, Join the time paradox avoidance enforcement, squadron. Great hours, solid benefits, sign up yesterday. Fluffy cryptograms, too. Two, just two little jokes. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris, what are your speculations and your theories this week? Well, they still have that tape measure time machine. It's in their backyard, and they probably have to dig it up because they left it there 10 years ago. But when they turned themselves into the time police, they left it on the ground. They weren't carrying it with them. At some point, they will they will be able to resolve something by digging up the time machine in the backyard. They introduce the character of the time baby, and of course, we see the time police and blend in. Like, do you think that story is done, or they're going to do anything else? 
Splendid will be back because they've been they've already like sort of had him popping up here and there and and stuff. And now he likes the kids and owes them a favor. So they you know, they might get helped out by Blendon Blandon at some point in the future or in the past in the future or something like that. All right. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't think they're done with Blendon Blandon. All right. I was going to ask another question, but it might touch too much on on you gotta be careful there, stuff. Hope. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way I could word it well. <laughs> Playing with fire, Mullinax. I know, I know. All right. Yeah, I'm going to choose not to this week. <laughs> um, you have chosen wisely not to play with fire. Yeah, yeah. Not a pyro this week, so. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's a new year. You know what that means? New ways for me to thank my Ooh. patrons. Hey! Oh, gosh, let me see if I can do this off the top of my head. So, once upon a time, there was a lovely group of really powerful friends. And they were all like, oh, man, we are super duper powerful because we listened to this, like, really awesome podcast called Home Express Watch Cartoons. And, yeah, it's so cool. And they all had superpowers because they had to go out and save the city. And it's, I have not written this down. So let's go. So first and foremost, there was Kate. And Kate was all like, look at me with my amazing powers of wittiness and flight. And she could make literal earworms. So she would, uh, say a word and it would get stuck in people's head and they would just be like, ah, I can't get this song out of my head. And she's like, that's my bandom bandom, yo. And then there was Alex, and Alex was just like, has the power of super strength, and she's all like, I'm just going to raise this thing up, and I'm going to smash you with it. And Bree is just like, that is amazing. Can I team up with you? So Alex shared the power of Bree, because they're really cute wives. And Bree was like, oh yeah, I can now smash things too, and they are Hulk smashing everything. And then Patrick has the power of the squeaky voice time traveler, and he is just like, I can travel through time! And I can stop things before they happen! Because I am Patrick! And then Lynn was like, I have healing abilities, because I'm a retired doctor, and I'm great at that. And Lynn was just like, I'm going to heal everybody up. And then Billy came along, and she was like, you know what? I have the power to grow things. I am now poison ivy, bitches! And I am cute and adorable and sexy, and I'm going to, like, grow stuff, and it's going to grow and cover you up. And Heather's like, you know... I have the power of being able to immediately uh, fly anything. And I don't even need to learn. I'm like, oh, I'm Neo. She's Neo. She's Neo from the Matrix. So all she has to do is, like, look at a thing once, and then she can jump in and just be like, I can do this now. And Kung Fu. And Brian was like, that seems so cool. My superpower is teleporting. And I'm just going to be like, bam, 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 bam. And, but not the blue kind of fuzzy teleporter. I'm just, you know, like the me teleporter and I'm going to fight you. Yeah. And finally, Gene was like, I'm the ideas guy. I'm really good at pulling people together and filming you guys and making radio shows like Strangers in Paradise that you guys should go check out over on 2TrueFreaks.com that Chris and Gene worked on together. And uh, Gene brought everybody together and they made a superhero team called the Patrons. Thank you. <laughs> Yay! I made that up off the top of my head. Thank you guys for real. Thank you. I love you all so much and thank you for being part of the show. And I love you. I love you all. Did you like how I kind of slid in your audio drama? Uh, yeah. Always slide in the uh, audio drama. Everybody's excited. We we released it on the day on Black Friday. 
And to, as we're recording today, it's December 1st. So it was up for a few days in November, but it was the number one downloaded Two True Freaks podcast. Really? In, Nove- in November for like the four days it was up. So Whoa, Yeah, amazing. well, it helped that the creator put it up on, on Twitter, you know, put the link up on it. That That helps a lot that the person who created it, like, gave us a little boost there. Yeah, Terry Moore was just like, check out this thing. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it now. That's so cool. I'll be working on that when we're done tonight. Yay. Well, what are your final thoughts of the episode, Chris? I liked it a lot. I thought it was a a really good episode. It was another it was another non deep, deeper story. It's funny. It's sort of like the X. Did you ever watch X-Files? Here and there, I would catch it. X-Files was divided up similarly into a sort of episodic... Sometimes the episodic stories would also like this, like, have a little bit of bleed into stuff that would go... But then they would have ones that were in the main, like, continuing storyline. So sometimes you would get, like, three developing the main storylines, and then it's like, they're after Bigfoot, you know? (laughs) This was this was one of the they're after Bigfoot movies or episodes, but it was really good. It, it like yeah, I I like Seuss's character, so it's always good to have Seuss's character developed. I I love this episode too. I think they do a lot. They do a lot of really strong storytelling in how they handle Seuss's backstory. I like how they wrap up uh, Blendon's little mini arc with the kids, and they I love anything that explores a found family story. Like I love it, and it, they do it all in twenty two minutes. To me, this is one of the strongest episodes of season two, and I, I really love this episode a lot. All right, Chris, where can people find you? You can find me at tutufreaks.com. That's our website, and you can get all our podcasts over there, including J Guys and Jedi, which Hope and I do. We should be we should be zipping along into resistance by the time you hear this after our after our holiday season of commentaries. We just did this Lego Star Wars holiday special last night, and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got we got Solo coming up, and then we got uh, the Rise of Skywalker. And anyway, yeah, you could hear all that. That that stuff's probably all up by now. Uh, on on our tutorfreaks.com, you can sign up for all the RSS feeds there, or you can sign up for us on iTunes. Uh, we are also on. Facebook, there's two, 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 count them two, two true freaks pages on Facebook, the two true freaks podcast, where we put up all our podcasts and the two true freaks cantina, which is like a forum. And we are also on Twitter run by the aforementioned Gene. I was just reading, I was just reading Gene's scripts for the first few episodes of a version of his adaptation of Trekker. Oh, cool. I don't know if that'll be coming coming out or going into production by April, but April has something to do with that. We've got the next year planned <laughs> with that audio drama group. So, yeah, <laughs> lots of stuff happening. But that's uh, that's that's me. Where can they find you? This is, of course, the animation podcast for GeekyGirlExperience.com. That's where you can read uh, all my reviews and my write-ups and stuff like that. Of course, I mentioned my lovely patrons. So if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash experience. If you love the show and you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really is one of the best ways you can help the show. It helps people find the show. 
those reviews are a big like algorithm trigger. So you guys play play Hope's algorithm. <laughs> oh, huh. At least buy me dinner first. Jeez. <laughs> Burr a coffee anyway. <laughs> um, also, I have a couple online stores on both Redbubble and on Etsy, and the Etsy store has some little Waddles merchandise. Um, if you go to geekygirlexperience.com, at the top you'll see a button that says Shops, and there's links to my two shops there. And of course, Chris mentioned that we have another podcast called J Guys and Jedi. I run our Twitter account for that, and you can find that on Twitter at J Guys and Jedi. And you can find me on Twitter at Hope Molimax. All right. Chris, you want to hear the title of next week's episode? I do. And this is one that's going to be fun. This is the one that I've hinted at pretty much since we first started the show, which is when um, Alex Hirsch couldn't put two little old ladies together as a queer little couple. Oh. It's this episode. This is uh, the two little old ladies no homo episode. Absolutely. And it's it's so stupid because it's such a quick little thing. Jeez, how many no homo moments? We had a, we had to have a home, no homo moment and uh, no homo moment and uh, uh, no homo <laughs> no moment. Homo moment. <laughs> no homo moment. And, the Star Wars, um, the Star Wars holiday, holiday special. No homo moment. Yeah, because we couldn't have we couldn't have Lego we couldn't have Lego Poe be the, everyone's big day Christmas sweater dad. He had to have Zuri Bliss with mistletoe at the end. That's what guys just need to do. You put both hands out in front of you, both arms out with your hands up, and just go, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo. But the title of next week's episode is called The Love God. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Wow. Any thoughts? Somebody's gonna get a love potion or a love amulet or something like that. Who do you think it's gonna be? I don't know. I'm hoping Stan. That would be fun. (laughs) <laughs> but it's probably going to be Dipper, and he's going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to start out loving it and then end up hating it. That's, that's I guess, my prediction for the love god. All right. Well, we'll have to find out next week. They, they, they tip their hand because it's not the love goddess, although that would be an interesting one if Mabel was the love goddess. We'll have to find out, find out next week, and we will see you then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. No homo, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo, no homo. Sure, by you like Ralph Cramden going hamana, 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 hamana. I know. That's actually why I started laughing. It sounded like you were just going hamana, 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 hamana.